Alright, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Help Me Understand podcast. I'm your host, J.K. McLeod, and uh, for today's episode, it's actually a little bit different. So today's episode of the Help Me Understand podcast is actually a re-airing of a podcast that I was on called Mind Over Macros with Coach Mike Milner. So what we're doing here is uh, taking uh, an appearance that I did on Mike's podcast, and we're going to use that as an episode of the Help Me Understand podcast. Uh, For those of you who are not familiar with Mike, uh, Mike is a uh, owner of a nutrition company called Peak Optimization Performance, or POP for short. Uh, Mike is also recently the author of a book called The Personality Diet, where he walks folks through uh, basically all of the steps that you need uh, in order to understand how to create a plan, a diet nutrition plan that works for specifically for you. And uh, the groundbreaking thing that he is doing is he's helping folks identify the fact that the diet that works for you is not based on a specific protocol. It's based on you and your personality and your lifestyle uh, and the things that actually work for you. Uh, So he's actually doing some pretty, uh, like I said, some pretty groundbreaking things uh, within the nutrition space uh, through his company. Uh, Mike has been the host of the Mind Over Macros podcast for over a year and most recently recorded his 100th episode. So he's been in the game for a while and something that I had been wanting to do was to find a way to provide my audience of this podcast with some more background around uh, my background in health and fitness uh, and some of the things that really drive me and some of the experiences that I've gone through. And I thought, what better way to do it than to take this particular episode that I did on Mike's podcast, because he also uh, is a very talented interviewer. He has this uh, knack for asking great questions and also giving great insights. So uh, without taking up any more of your time, uh, I want to thank you for choosing to press play today and enjoy this particular episode of the Help Me Understand podcast, which is actually a re-airing of the Mind Over Macros podcast with Coach Mike Milner. All right, guys. Today, I am joined by a very special guest, Mr. J.K. McLeod. So I've known you now for like three, four years, and I've never actually heard the correct pronunciation of your last name. Is it actually McLeod or is it McLeod? I'm sure you get McLeod all the time. It It is actually McLeod, but okay. phonetically, it, it looks like McLeod. So it is McLeod. Though. McLeod. Yes. All right, cool. Yeah. So I didn't yep. want to make any assumptions. So I figure if I just throw both of them out there, I was, I was good. Unless you like hit me with something out of left field, I figured I would cover my bases. Um, yeah. So this is probably long overdue, but uh, welcome to the show. I appreciate yep. you coming on. I'm excited for the conversation. And, uh, you know, I just want to start because, you know, we've been doing these daily intention calls. And for those of you guys who don't know, um, JK volunteered to take the early morning time slot, which I greatly appreciate. Um, And we'll also jump on my daily intentions call from from time to time, which is uh, the the later time slot. And somebody had asked me, was like, you know, hey, that that dude, JK, what's his story? How do you get into fitness? Like, was just curious uh, for whatever reason. So I figured now is a good time to ask you uh, about your 
your background, uh, you know, how you got into fitness and, and just your journey from, uh, you know, where it all started to up through now. Yeah, well, uh, first, I appreciate you having me on. So thanks for the opportunity. Uh, definitely long overdue because we've been connected for quite a while now. So um, let's see. Let's try and go with the abridged version uh, because I think one of the reasons we connect is your boy can ramble when he needs to. So um, just growing up, um, I actually had more of a background in drama uh, theater, musical theater, show choir, stuff like that. So I uh, did not grow up with what I would call the stereotypical or generalized athletic background. I was on a few teams here and there, but I was affectionately referred to as a fifth quarter all-star most of the time. Uh, so uh, typically the teams that I made, uh, I made, I think I made the soccer team uh, sometime in like grade school, uh, I did make the track team in high school, uh, and by make the team, it was one of those where they didn't cut anybody. So I was on the team. Uh, funny story, uh, I was running the, the, uh, the, I think it was the 115-meter hurdle event in high school, and I remember I finished first, and I was super, super pumped because it's about the only time that I had finished first in anything. And uh, then they told me that I was disqualified because what I actually did was pretty much just about ran through every hurdle. So uh, to say that I did not necessarily come into health and fitness just naturally would be an understatement. Um, so just growing up, you know, the occasional sports here and there, but really most of my energy uh, was around, uh, like I said, like choir, show choir, musical theater, stuff like that, um, all the way through high school. Uh, in college, I would say that my athletic, um, my athletic work was close to about zero. So um, I know people are feeling real inspired right now. So uh, really uh, didn't do a ton there. Um, so when I finally did get into health and fitness, uh, I'm 41 right now. So my first foray into health and fitness and, and really taking it seriously was around the age of 30, about 30, 31 years old. Uh, so I definitely had a late start. Uh, what I would say would be a late start because most people are coming to the plate, especially most people in my position now as coaches and programmers have some sort of, um, you know, a deep background, but uh, I'm, I'm not that guy. So uh, the story around how I got into it was uh, my wife uh, came home one day and she worked at uh, she worked at a bank and she came home one day with some free passes for a gym and uh that gym, she was handling their accounts and they just were offering some free passes. So I said, Hey, uh, I'll, I'll check it out. Uh, I guess, uh, she was nicely telling me, I think that you need to do something. So I said, all right, that's cool. So, uh, you know, there's a lot between then and now, but my first foray into health and fitness was, was honestly, uh, my wife handing me a free pass, me deciding, well, let me go kind of figure out, uh, what I can do. Uh, I remember I went to the gym, didn't really know what to do. So I walked on the treadmill for about 10 minutes, watched some other guys who looked pretty jacked, uh, went, uh, went over, did some bench press, basically did all upper body because that's all I saw them doing. And um, th that's kind of how I got started. And then, you know, of course, fast forward, 
I started learning more and more, uh, started writing my own workouts, uh, did hire a personal trainer because after I felt like I was in shape enough to hire a personal trainer, uh, which is a very common mistake. Um, you know, I started building up some more confidence and then, uh, just a few years ago, I was approached by the owner at a gym that I worked at previously, and he asked me if I would be interested in possibly training some classes at a new location, kind of like the group fitness sort of thing. Asked me if I'd be interested in doing that. And I said I would, but I didn't feel comfortable doing it without some sort of a certification. So I uh, hopped online, you know, researched a couple of things, got my certification in uh, personal training, started doing group fitness and some small group classes. This was all, you know, kind of a side hustle thing. And then um, got involved in neurotyping, which I heard about uh, through you. So through our connection, uh, got involved in neurotype work, got certified in that. And then that that leads me to kind of where I am now. There's a lot in between there, but that's that's the abridged version. Yeah. And I think it helps paint the picture because if somebody is just looking at you, they see super Jack dude, like, you know, the way that you, you know, you film videos, you, you move well, you, you obviously like you have the physique. And I think sometimes there's this misconception or this belief like, Oh, that person was just naturally gifted. We start to create the story uh, without really knowing the full context. It's kind of like the, the iceberg effect, right? We only see what's above the surface and there's so much below the surface. And I think then when you start to shine a light on that, it really becomes apparent like, you know, you were starting from basically scratch without having the athletic background, without being introduced to fitness until much later in life. And I think all of a sudden it kind of paints, you know, puts things into perspective about what's actually possible, uh, that you don't need to be naturally gifted. I think that's one of the beautiful things about fitness in general is that you don't have to be an all-star. You don't have to be a star athlete. You don't have to be naturally gifted. Uh, there's a lot of people who would say, that they're uncoordinated, but then you look at them and they've got the body, they've got the physique, they can lift and, and move well. And, and it's just one of those things where uh, I think sometimes we, uh, we make this story up just to, to kind of try and piece it together in our minds. Like uh, we see somebody who looks the part, so they must've mm -hmm. always been that way. And I think it just helps uh, when we hear something like that, your story. Uh, so when you were first, you had those free passes, um, where were you at as far as like, physically, um, you know, was it something that you first thought about because you wanted to uh, look better or was it something that you just, it was more, was it more health focused? Like where was your mindset and, and where were you coming from at that time? Yeah, good question. So, uh, you know what, it, uh, at that time, so let's go like physical stats. I'm still the same height. So I was six, two, uh, I weighed about two, uh, I want to say about two fifty ish right around that time. Um, you know what the, the funny thing, or one thing that I thought that now that I look back, it's kind of interesting. I worked, uh, at the time in clothing retail. So I worked in specialty retail and I always prided myself. I got this from my mom. Really. I prided myself on being able to put things together pretty well, uh, fashion wise. So I was able to, for lack of a better term, kind of hide what might've been considered, say, you know, the belly and different things like that. So I didn't go into that time frame as somebody who felt like, uh, man, I'm unhappy with it or anything because I felt confident in the way that I could at least present myself. Um, and especially as a male who was working in a, a, a women's retail uh, 
dominated store. Um, it was something that I, you know, I wasn't like unhappy or anything like that, but what I did know is that I could do better than I was currently doing at that time. So when my wife gave me those free passes, uh, I just remember my first goal again, you, this is before understanding really anything. My first goal was let me put on some muscle first and then I'll worry about cutting it later. And of course, by putting on muscle, I thought, let me build my upper body as big as possible first, <laughs> and then I'll worry about cutting it later. So my mindset um, going into it wasn't that I necessarily needed to lose a whole lot. It was more about, you know, let me, let me start work on, on trying to sculpt, really uh, sculpt my physique. So uh, that's kind of where where I started and what I went into it with. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious at what point um, through the process, did you start to fall in love with the programming side? Um, you know, I think that yeah. one of the things that I have always respected about you is the way that you program the thought yeah. that goes into it. Uh, you know, you can tell, and when, when you've been doing this for a little while, you start to uh, pick things out where you can tell when stuff is just thrown together Versus when there's like an actual, uh, you know, yeah. you can see almost see the thought process that goes behind it, which I think is cool. And that's one thing that I've always noticed. So at what point did you really start to enjoy that side of things versus just, you know, being somebody who taught classes or somebody who worked out and, and you know, doing it for yourself where you kind of wanted to pivot and start to create um, programs for other people? Yeah. So um there's there's kind of two pieces to answer that question. The first one, which is the most direct answer, is uh, when I first started going to the gym, didn't really know what to do, so watched some other people. Then um, a, I had a pretty big life event actually happen. Uh, I lost my full-time job. So from a time frame standpoint, I started at the gym around December-ish, and then about uh, March or April of the following year, so just a few months later, I unexpectedly lost my full-time source of income. I always had a part-time thing going on. I was working actually at a bar, um, but when I lost that full-time job, um, I, at that time I had been going to the gym, and I remember uh, getting some advice around, hey, while you're searching for something else full-time, make sure that you keep some sort of a routine and a ritual. So that's when the gym actually became my, my routine and my ritual. I, I'd sporadically gone up until then, but that's when I plugged it into my every day at that point. And then, uh, because I had lost that job, I was working with a little bit of a limited budget at the time, just trying to be smart about things. So I, uh, geared or I earmarked some money. I went to a bookstore and I bought, um, a men's health book, um, and a workout journal. And then I went to a, a supplement store and bought some protein. And so I followed along in that. And what I had, no, what I noticed, and this gets to the programming piece, what I noticed was just that I really liked the way that I saw that things were being put together. And I noticed how different that was from what I saw some people doing inside the gym. It looked like people were just kind of walking from machine to machine to machine. And this comes full circle because now I think to myself, like, how do they know that the gym laid that stuff out the way that it was that you're using it? So I just from really from that standpoint or from that point, right around just a few months after I started lifting, I started taking what 
the book was telling me to do. And I would follow that, but then I would start reworking it based on what I felt like I wanted to get some additional work in. And I have to give credit also to a trainer, a personal trainer that I was working with at that time, because I also would get kind of bored with always thinking of it for myself. So I would go to her once or twice a week. And when I um, got back to working full time, I started going to her three to four times a week. So I was always supplementing some of the other stuff. But the programming piece started very early with just um, looking at, okay, I get it that there's this particular structure, but I feel like there's a different way that I can also do it that might be more geared towards me. Uh, and that's, that's where I really started to see it. But uh, a second piece to that answer would be, you know, how you talked about not everybody necessarily comes from a place of being naturally gifted, naturally athletic, you know, naturally, like you don't walk, fall out of the womb with six pack abs, like that sort of thing. Some of my past experience, I now see coming back into play because I DJed when I was in college. And so being able to get an understanding for the flow of things from beginning to end. Like we've all probably been to a club or a party where the DJ was just completely whack and seemed to be just throwing out song after song that made no sense versus somebody who takes you from the beginning of a party to the middle where it just ebbs and you're just like, it builds up. And then you get to the end where it's like you wind down, you have to, you got to play a couple of slow jams, that sort of a thing. So that experience that I learned back then in trying to, you know, control a crowd and run a party, I fully see that coming back into play with the programming too and being able to to go through an entire process and kind of the ebbs and the flows and whatnot. Yeah, and that's a great analogy. As a quick aside, I don't know if you saw the IG live with Lil John and T Pain going back and forth on their oh. DJ battle. But that was absolute fire. I did not. Um, I did not. I just saw one with Scott Storch and Manny Fresh, and that was some of the stuff coming out of this time frame is just fantastic. That's yeah, a side note, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I had to throw that out there, but yeah. you can tell the thought process just, you know, to bring it back full circle, uh, the thought process that goes into it, it's the same. Like there has to be, you know, we talked about this on, on one of the daily intention calls about priming about mm -hmm. what you do even before you start the session. And, you know, I think that there's some, t some things get, overlooked as far as, uh, you know, what's even what's your mindset going into the workout. And I know that's something that we both kind of took away from being, uh, you know, people who follow the neurotyping system and, and have studied yeah. that. Uh, but what's that like psychological piece when you're actually in the gym? So how do we get ourselves in that proper mindset to get the most out of each session? Um, I'm curious, you know, see, one of the things that I wish I could kind of implant into everybody is something that you touched on and I didn't want it to go overlooked because it's such an important point. You were able to filter that process through the lens of how can I make this more applicable to me or how can I make it suit my needs a little bit better? And one of the things that I, I wish everybody could take this perspective when it comes to fitness, nutrition, when you hear information, uh, we sometimes have the tendency to just follow that information without actually filtering it through how does that apply to me? Or, you know, maybe it, it doesn't, but maybe there's a piece of that that I can pull away. Or, um, you know, maybe this is something that I just have to reframe into a different context. And I think that sometimes we just get caught up in here's the information. So I'm going to follow that to a T without actually going through the process of thinking, 
how does this actually apply to me? Or how can I kind of rework it so that it does apply more to my situation? Um, I'm wondering if that's something that was just a natural instinct or like where that came from. If you've always been more of like a, just a self-aware kind of funneling everything through that perspective, um, or if it's something that you've kind of had to practice and learn throughout the, the years. Yeah, that man, you got the good questions here. So uh, as far back as I can remember, um, I grew up in a, a very structured household. And I say that as a positive uh, because I grew up with always understanding what was expected of me. I was always given, um, especially from my parents and my grandparents, I was given kind of the playbook of, hey, this, these are the steps that you need to follow. And so what I did was I summarily thanked them for that structure by going completely against uh, pretty much everything that I was taught. So. Uh, to answer your question, I, I think that I came to that through some trial and error. So um, I've w gone through some periods um, just personally where um, had I just stuck to, you know, understanding some of the basics of something, I would have been able to get through some of the ups and downs a little bit better. And I just decided to kind of follow, hey, this is what that person is doing. So that seems like that's a good idea. Let me go do that. And then it didn't turn out so well. But what always seemed to work out for me is if I went back to the basics and the structure that my parents taught me. So how I bring that to then your question would be, um, I, I have developed a sense and I've gotten, it, it took a lot of trial and error, but developed a sense of, okay, these are the basic things that I need to do in order for, um, or these are the basic rules that work typically in order to see progress. So if we use health and fitness as an example, um, there needs to be some sort of a focus on nutrition. So you got to have at least some idea of what you're doing strategy wise. Uh, need to get some movement in. So whether that's walking, running, lifting, whatever it might be, I know there needs to be some movement. Uh, you need to focus on how you handle stress. And then, you know, that, that goes hand in hand with recovery. So if I just start with those things, like those are my basics, then it's up to me to try and figure out then what is the right path for me to go. And that's kind of the way that I was raised was you have these, these, tenants, these structures, these pillars, and then you nav you need to navigate through that in a way that's going to be best for you. So I also was also given the message of don't always follow the crowd. And um, that's why I think neurotyping has worked so well for me and what I've seen with my clients also is you start with at least a structure and a foundational understanding of who you are. But, uh, you know, you and I are both proponents of the fact that neurotyping really is there to help you provide a foundation. And then you work your way through and you make tweaks and you do different things just depending on situation and whatnot. But um, I think, you know, it, it sounds crazy, but I think that being able to develop that filter actually started from a place of structure for me. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it helps to explain you're somebody that... Uh, it seems like the basics come very natural to you. Uh, like you don't, you don't complicate things. You keep it very simple. Um, and, and that's again, you know, something that I talk about, I had a client who asked me about, um, she said something along the lines of, you know, I'm seeing all of these micro changes, which are great, 
but I'm wondering when the macro changes are going to happen. Like, when do I notice the big changes? And I said, you know, it doesn't happen that way. Exactly what you're experiencing is how the macro changes happen. It's just a, it's just the cumulative effect of micro changes over time. Um, and I know that we're both big fans of the book Atomic Habits. It's like the ice cube yeah. principle where, you know, you have an ice cube in a room and it's zero degrees. When the temperature changes from zero to one, you don't see any change. And then one to two and two to three, all the way up 31 degrees and it still appears like the same ice cube sitting in the same room. Then all of a sudden you hit 32 and above and then the ice cube starts to melt. And that's when you see that quote unquote macro change, but it was really the micro changes that happened over time. Um, so what are some of the, you know, as somebody like yourself who seems to just kind of always fall back on the basics and you started to, to touch on some of them, but for you personally, what are those anchors that you always kind of lean on that you know, um, if nothing else, you're going to check those boxes each day? Yeah. Now, now when you're asking that, are you asking more from, say, a, a health and fitness standpoint or just mindset or just kind of in general? Yeah, just in, in general. It can be more, you yeah. know, um, health and fitness. If there's something more mindset related that you do that uh, you know is going to keep you grounded, just something that, you know, is kind of part of your routine that, that you know is always going to be in place regardless of, you know, un, yeah. you know, unknowing circumstances like we're dealing with right now. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, the way that I'll answer that question is actually to refer to something that we talked about on our daily intentions call uh, about a week and a half or so ago. Uh, in order to uh, just have what I would consider to be a good setup for the day, um, I was able to narrow it down to just a handful of things that I've noticed over time, over the past few years and just beyond. These are the things that it just seems like if I do these particular things or if I have these involved in my day, it just seems like everything else kind of, it's kind of that domino effect. Um, so from a physical movement standpoint, I know for myself, I have to have some sort of physical movement every day for at least about 15 minutes. Uh, for example, today, it was actually just walking like that. That's what I did. I got outside and went for a walk. I did a little bit of mobility work later, but just some sort of physical activity uh, I have found uh, is something that helps me. Uh, I'm in um, I'm in a job where I'm moving uh all over the place all the time, most of the time, uh, when I'm at my full-time job. And then when I'm also then running a company on the side, I'm sitting. So I know that if there's a day where I'm not working inside of uh, my sales environment like in a building, then I've got to put that movement in there or else I'm just not going to feel like my day is really going well. So I get that done. Um, I focus quite a bit each day on getting at least one nugget of information that I didn't have the day before. So I intentionally seek out some additional information. Uh, I've found some great podcasts that sometimes are anywhere from 10 minutes um, or less. So if I'm really, really, really crunched for time, then I'll scroll through a handful of podcasts. Yours obviously being one of them. Um, there's one that I just, um, just came across recently with, I think, I guess, I think you've had on before too, Sarah, the lean in with Sarah, I think is the name of the podcast. Yeah. That one was a great one. She puts out some short episodes. So I just look at, uh, trying to get a little bit of information each day, something that's thought provoking. Uh, that's important to me. And then the third piece that was part of my kind of my personal priority pyramid uh, was some sort of impact on somebody every single day. And when I tell people that sometimes 
um, they, they get this kind of look on their face, like, Oh man, that's a lot to try to do. And I tell them, well, I think that you're overestimating what, what I'm telling you it takes to impact somebody. So, uh, for example, yesterday I shot an email to somebody I had not talked to in a, in a really long time, knowing what their personality was like and how they may be kind of struggling through what's going on right now with um, the quarantine and whatnot. So I just shot him an email and that's, that's my thing for the day. Um, just knowing that there was something that I at least tried to do for somebody that I know um, could possibly appreciate it. So with those three things, that pretty much lays a pretty good foundation for me for the rest of the day. There's so many other things we could focus on, but for me personally, I know that if I've got those three pillars in place, I'm typically going to have a, a pretty decent day at least. Yeah. And what I love about that answer is that really all, you know, one of them is kind of body focused, although you can make the argument that the movement is more for your mental well-being, uh, yeah. And then the other two are definitely more mindset related Um, more about, you know, taking care of things from how are you challenging yourself mentally by learning something new each day? And then, you know, having an external focus on how can I impact somebody else, um, which, you know, again, we keep bringing it up, but one of our daily intentions topic is was that it's really hard to have a bad day when you impact somebody else, when you make somebody else's day better. It's really difficult for you to have a have a bad day. Um, so I love that focus on uh, more of the, like, how can I approach this process with having these anchors in place that will help the, uh, my mental state, which then we know will improve your physiological state or your physical state. Um, but I think that starting there is, you know, I think it's great for people to hear that it wasn't like, you know, I make sure that I get all my veggies in every day and I make sure that I hit my macros and I'm, you know, and it's, and it's, uh, it really comes back to starting with the mindset first and that helps all the other pieces fall into place. Yeah. Something, something I'll add to that is, um, I think it's important for those things. For me, it's important to know that those are things that are controllable too. They're very, very unreliant on outside factors. I don't even know if unreliant is an actual word, but they don't, they don't depend on someone else. So um, if all else fails, I still have the ability to reach out to someone. If I don't know their phone number, I could probably find them on social media or something. If all else fails, I can probably find a book somewhere to read if I can't listen to a podcast. If all else fails, I can walk around outside for 15 minutes if all the gyms are closed and I can't do anything else, you know? So I think that was important to me too, is to put those pillars in place that they all, that 100% depended on me. There was nobody else. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a great point. Um, So as somebody who has focused and emphasized the basics for a long time, there's obviously different points and phases where you're going to ratchet things up a little bit. And there's going to be times where, you're going to be more intentional or more specific about trying to accomplish a certain goal or challenging yourself beyond just, you know, the, you know, just the basics. And a perfect example of that is what you had shared with me before we hit record, which is that you're going through your second round of 75 hard. Um, So if you want to just kind of first explain what that looks like and why you decided to do it the first time, um, and then I'm curious about what you took away from it and, and kind yeah. of where your head is at going into round two. Yeah. So, uh, and to, to clarify, 
officially now I'm in round three because I failed yesterday. So this is now my third, my third thing at it, but, um, I'll, I'll share a little bit about that, but, um, from a summary standpoint, 75 hard is a program that was created, uh, by Andy Frisella from uh, first form supplement superstores, that sort of thing. So, um, the program really is what he considers to be a mindset challenge. And so it's where you have a list of tasks that you must complete without fail for 75 days in a row. Uh, and you know how I feel about consistency. And I'd always considered myself to be a very consistent individual. And this one kind of intrigued me because uh, the, the tasks that you have to complete, I'm going to try and list them all out. Uh, the first one is uh, following some sort of a diet. He doesn't stipulate that it has to be a specific diet, like it doesn't have to be um, vegan or keto or anything like that. It's just follow a diet, but don't cheat on whatever diet you pick. Then the second piece is reading 10 pages per day of a book. The third piece is drinking one gallon of water every day. Uh, the fourth piece is that you must take a progress pick every single day. And then the fifth piece is that you must do two workouts per day. They need to be separate. They need to be 45 minutes each. And one of them has to be outside. And just to clarify that, walking is considered a workout. Yoga is considered a workout. So uh, why I decided to do it originally uh, was really to prove a point. Uh, and the point that I wanted to prove, not to necessarily anybody else, but just to prove to myself was if you feel like you really do, for the most part, make decent decisions when it comes to health, fitness, mindset, nutrition, then you shouldn't have to completely just upend your entire life to be able to do those things without fail for 75 days in a row. So that was the challenge for me. Uh, folks who have interacted with me or in my content or heard me ramble before know that I'm not necessarily all about the, the stereotypical, like restrict yourself for this many days or go like balls to the wall, like whatever for a certain number of days. So that was really the thing too, is that on paper, this doesn't sound like something that I would do. But I wanted to do it because I wanted to look at, you know what, if you if you work day in and day out and hold yourself to a particular standard, could you accomplish something like this without having to make major changes uh, in your life? So uh, I completed it or at least thought that I had completed it the first time around. But since then, he's come out with some clarifications that I had some confusion on. Um, so I've decided, okay, I'm going to go back and I'm going to do it again. And I was just sharing with Mike before we hit record. Um, I did not plan out my day as well as I had the opportunity to yesterday, which was day number nine of the second attempt. So I am actually, uh, we're going to mark this episode as day one of 75 hard for the third attempt. So I'm back at it now. Uh, what was your biggest yeah. takeaway from, from going through that? You know what? My biggest takeaway hands down was uh, that it truly, no matter what you're going after, if your goal, if you take each of those things and say you were looking at them as micro goals, like my goal is to get in shape, so I'm going to work out. My goal is to um, 
lean out. So I'm going to follow a diet. My goal is to learn something. So I'm going to read. So each of those are kind of different tactics, no matter which, what thing you're trying to go after, what that program taught me hands down is that it is all about focusing on your mindset, your mindset. And I call mindset really a filter. So the way that you filter through all of the other things that come at you will dictate how you come out of a particular situation. Uh, so there were days where I had to perf- had to do my walk and it was 20 degrees below zero. And it wasn't the fact that it was cold. It was about, I need to develop the mindset that the outside conditions and the outside factors don't matter in this situation. I said I was going to do something, so I got to get that done. So it was the mindset um, that I came out of it with the first time around. Um, I knew that it was important, but it just shined a huge light on the fact that it, it is the driver of everything, which I know you're a huge believer in also. Like it yeah. drives your, your nutrition, everything. Yep. You're speaking my language for sure. Um, Literally, you know, when we look at the definition, it's, it's our perception, it's how we perceive things. And, and so, you know, explaining it as that filter is spot on. Uh, I'm wondering if it gave you one of the, the tools that I think is so important that we talk about a lot is the ability to reframe situations. How can we take something that we're filtering through this one lens and how can we just shift that focus and adjust that that lens so that we have now reframed it in a way that makes it seem more achievable um more you know talking about more of like a growth mindset how can i look at something like negative 20 degree weather and my original perception may be i can't walk in this weather but going through that practice and being able to reframe that as i made a commitment the outside temperature doesn't impact what I'm going to do. The weather doesn't control my actions. Um, That would be an example of reframing to, you know, give yourself more of a growth mindset of I have control. I'm not allowed, I'm not giving my control away. So I'm wondering if, if going through that process um, kind of enhanced your ability to look at a situation either for yourself or for a client and help uh, go through that reframing process. Yeah, it, it definitely did. Uh, I've always been uh, a very big, like, look in the mirror before you look out the window sort of a guy. Uh, it's something that I learned uh, long ago from my dad and then in, from leaders that I've been around in business growing up, just around being able to control certain situations. But again, what this did, what this challenge did is it, it ratcheted it up, kind of how you mentioned before, it, it brought it up to a completely different level. So what I have noticed coming out of it also is that when there's something that I haven't gotten done, because I certainly am now not any, you know, I, I don't, I still falter. I still have faults. I still have failings. Uh, there's still things that, you know, I plan to get done and then I didn't follow through on them. But when, when something happens like that, it's now ratcheted up at a whole nother level because I immediately am like, you know what, here's what you could have done differently. And now let's, let's make sure that that, that doesn't happen. But then on top of that, I am now planning, planning better for certain things and also taking action a whole lot faster too on certain things, just because it's kind of like the, okay, it's under your control. So get after it now 
don't wait for these other factors to possibly come up to where you will have to rework your plan, if that makes sense. Kind of. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I'm yeah. curious if, if it's something like based off of your experience, are there people that you would say, yes, I recommend you doing this? And then some people where you would say, you know what, this might not be the best idea for you. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we could get into a really long conversation about that. That's a tough one to be, for me to answer. Here's what I would say. Um, and I'm thinking real life experience here because I've had a few people who have talked to me about doing it or they said I'd be interested in doing that. And my response, so what they will do typically is they'll ask me, hey, do you recommend I do this? And say that it's an individual who um, it doesn't feel like they've ever been consistent in anything or anything like that. I recommend that they do it. But the re what I tell them is I recommend that you do that, but have somebody that you can check in with and let them know how you're doing along the way. One thing I should mention is that I had a coach along the way. Now, my coach wasn't involved necessarily in 75 hard, but I had somebody who I felt like I could be accountable with. And I actually had a partner that was going through it at the same time, a buddy of mine. So um, I would I would recommend it for people who feel like they have someone that they can also be accountable to a coach or someone in their life. That person, I don't necessarily has to go through the program with you, but I think that um, it helps to definitely have somebody that you can at least share the experience with um, somebody who's checking up to make sure you're, you know, you're doing what you said you were going to do. But at the end of the day, it comes back down to you. Like I mentioned to you, like, Hey, um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't get it done yesterday. Guess who is the only person that would have known that had I not said anything? It was me, you know? So I texted my buddy and let him know kind of what was up. But um, I, I honestly, I don't know, man, that, that is a really tough one uh, because you know how much I hate to give out generalized advice. Yeah, for sure. But I, th I think a key to success would be just having, knowing that you've got at least one person out there who's in your, I would say. Yeah, yeah. and I think also, um, Coming out of that, I think it helps to have a certain level of accountability because we see, you know, and, and this any sort of extreme challenge or anything where you're testing yourself on that level, we have the kind of the, the rebellious effect that could potentially happen where um, if you're staying super diligent for so long and then all of a sudden these rules are lifted because you now completed it, um, there may be the tendency to kind of let the pendulum swing hard in the other direction. So I think having an exit strategy for something like that is also important. Um, I'm wondering if like what that, what your experience was like after I know you, and, and this is kind of why I asked because I think having a foundation or having the basics in place allows you to kind of naturally fall back into those habits that were serving you well beforehand. Now, if you're somebody who's really struggling um, to even get some of those basics in place, uh, it might be a good idea to focus on one step versus trying to go and knock everything out at once. Like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, th I think that that is a good point. So a couple of things there, as far as what my, uh, how things looked for me post 75 hard the first time around, uh, what, what was interesting is that I went back to what my basics were, but my basics were no longer good enough for what I felt like I could, I wanted to do because I now knew how much more I was capable of. So you actually 
uh, in the typical way that you do, you help me realize something new too. So um, it actually helped me raise my standards because about two to three weeks after I'd finished, I found myself just kind of like, oh man, like why, why am I not still reading the 10 pages a day? And I didn't feel any sort of a guilt or anything, but it was one of those like, you, you have the time to do it. Are you truly controlling what you can control? Like you always talk about with everyone else. So that was definitely an after effect of, okay, I realized now what I am capable of. So it just increased my level of performance just in a lot of different areas, not just those, those specific things, but um, just at home and with the kids and at work. Uh, I moved through a couple of initiatives that we had kind of had on the back burner for a while. And I just kind of took it by the horns and said, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to get this done. Um, but your suggestion also around maybe uh, if, you know, you're talking to somebody you don't necessarily know that they've even got the basics in place right now. I do think that those pieces, those structured, uh, structured pieces of the program in themselves are all really good habits to have. Um, they're just, you know, they, and even I, th I think that Andy would even say they are considered the extremes of that particular, those particular habits. But that's kind of the whole point of it is to try and really put it to the ultimate test of, you know, your, your mindset and really challenging yourself when you say like, well, I, I didn't really have time. Did you yeah. really not have time or did you not, not make it? So, yeah, hundred percent. And I think what you experienced and, and typically what I always say when we're going through challenging situations and it could be something like that. And it could be something like we're, we're all going through right now. When we come out the other side, it's the vote of confidence internally that I've been through hard things before and I came out the other side better for it. And I think that that's the ultimate lesson whenever we're challenging ourselves, whenever we're trying to set a standard higher than what we're used to doing. Uh, it's the same, that lesson of, it's just another vote of confidence that, Hey, I've been through hard things before. And I know, and it's, again, it comes back to that growth mindset. Uh, and, and we know from, from research and from just experience and personal anecdote, but um, having that growth mindset and viewing, you know, the, the challenges as opportunities, you, you know, viewing failure as learning opportunities, um, being able to draw from experience of when you were faced with hardship, when you were faced with a setback, when something didn't go the way you thought it should, or, you know, something came up unexpectedly, you got through it and it and didn't have to be pretty. Um, but the fact is you get, you get to the other side and now you have that experience to draw from the next time something happens, which it inevitably will. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things that uh, I think when, when we look at successful people, however you want to define that, it can be financial success, it can be fitness success, it can be relationships, it doesn't matter. The bottom line is they screw up just as much as everybody else. They yeah. just don't let that impact their next decision. They move on very quickly or they have, you know, something that would be a perceived failure from somebody else, which would cause them to stop. And they look at it as this is a great opportunity for me to learn and get better. Um, and that's really at the end of the day, I think that's kind of the, the differentiator between people who get frustrated and they view that as a setback, which means, um, oh, I can't do this, which would be a very fixed mindset versus the people who say, you know, I can learn from this and I can get better and they keep moving forward. Um, so and I have to go on my little rambling tangent sometimes. Sorry. It's just, it's just in my nature. <laughs> you know me, I'm down. 
So um, I want to shift back to um, kind of where, where we pivoted with the programming side of things and how you were able to kind of take stuff, filter it through your own personal lens. I'm wondering when you started with the programming and then kind of got into neurotyping, what were some of the lessons that, that came about? Maybe some like paradigm shattering moments where you were like, you know what, you know, the, the way that I previously thought about things, maybe I should think a little bit differently. Um, how did, I guess, just the growth as somebody who's writing programs, how did that growth evolve as you started to get more into the neurotyping? Yes. Yeah, so um, if I look at it as a, well, the, the trajectory of the growth, uh, you know, first I started with just programming, programming workouts, just based on what I felt like I wanted to accomplish. If there was a certain aesthetic that I wanted to achieve, or there was something I wanted to be more flexible in. So I did that. Um, also, just to to kind of nail down my, most of my background is a, it's a mix of bodybuilding and then CrossFit. So it's that, that beautiful, what I call the beautiful mix of functionality and the aesthetic. So it's the functional bodybuilding piece. And um, so I always felt like taking that um, understanding of um, how particular movements can work for an individual, but then also understanding the importance of you know, you can write the best programs in the world, but if they don't make sense for that individual and keep them engaged, then it's not going to really, it's not going to matter because they're going to dump that program about a week later. Maybe, maybe they hold on for two weeks if you're lucky, but they're just going to, they're just going to head out. So when I found neurotyping, um, I'm going to humbly say, I felt like I always had an ability to at least kind of read people and get an understanding for what worked or didn't work for them. Um, side note, that's why I always recommend folks that are going into online training, like trainers and coaches that are getting into online training. I highly recommend that they've had some in-person experience that they can actually see the work being done and understand the cues. But um, when I got into neurotyping, it really unlocked for me the science behind what I had always felt. So um, if you take a simple move or simple movement, but if you take a basic movement, like squatting. I was always just curious into why one person seemed to be seemed to get really energized when they could do the squats as fast as possible versus another person was way more energized by the fact that they could squat heavier and then another person was more excited about the fact that they could um, really control the tempo as they were lowering down into the squat. So what neurotyping did for me is it helped to unlock really understanding the science behind it, how your brain chemistry actually works um, with those particular things. And I tried it on myself first before doing it with a single client or implementing it into any program. So I, um, I'm actually a, a type 1B, which is not what I thought I was going to be. So kind of the same tone that I had when I was going into 75 hard, when I originally programmed neurotyping for myself, I did it. I was doing it to actually prove it wrong, to be straight up with you. I was like, no, nah, there's, I'm not, I'm not a one B like I'm, I'm not really the, the walk into the room and Hey everybody, JK's here. Like, that's not, that's not my thing. Um, I'm pretty low key. Um, but what I did is when I started programming specifically for my neurotype, what I found is that um, the gains were better. I was able to train for 
um, with much more frequency than I was before. I felt much better coming out of my workouts because they were geared more towards the type of explosiveness that I actually needed. Um, and it just, it just worked out much, much better for me. And so I was like, okay, uh, this, this guy, this guy, Mike, he actually knows what he's talking about here. And had I just done this a little bit sooner, it would have been even better. But, um, that was really the unlock for me was being able to match what I felt like I kind of had a, a gut feeling for, and then also the science put it into practical application. And then now, um, I lived it myself and then now I'm putting it into programs of clients and, you know, with team pop. So being able to really see, um, that difference, I mean, there's a beautiful thing in being able to help somebody get, uh, get into a rhythm with training that they can sustain over a long period of time. You may love a certain style of training and we can implement that training in there for you. But if we can really try and stick with your nature, but then sprinkle in the other stuff in there, you're able to train for a much longer period of time. And I, I don't know anybody who would not want to go through, say, like a full year injury free versus you can train all out for three months and then you have to take every third month, you have to take a month off because of some injury or whatever it might be. So, yeah. And, and the natural enjoyment of the process and you yeah. know, staying engaged mentally. Um, and I think what, what you mentioned is something that always, I love to hear as an in-person trainer, we pick up on these things instinctually. It's like, if you ever, if you ever coached anyone, you know, that the same, you're not going to take the same approach with two different people. Your no. coaching style has to adjust based on the person that you're coaching. There's some people that need more, um, they need more tactical information. They need more like specific cues. There's other people that just need more hype. They need you to be, you know, like a hype man. There's other people that just need you to be a cheerleader and it's more about positive encouragement. Um, you know, there's some people that need actual physical demonstration. So don't tell me, just show me and I'm going to, I'm going to emulate that movement. So when you, when you coach people in person, you pick that up instinctively. It's just, it becomes intuitive. You're like, yeah, I've, I tried that before. And even, even in the way that you deliver information, you can say one thing and it clicks, somebody gets it and you're like, Oh, I figured it out. Then you go to the next person, you say the same thing. And they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Right. Yeah. So you, you have to learn that. And um, I think for me, it was the same thing. Neurotyping was like all of that I knew, but I never really had the, you know, the, the understanding of why that actually happened. From, from a neurological standpoint, from a, you know, scientific standpoint, and then being able to package that into, you know, here's what that looks like as far as, you know, brain chemistry goes and neurotransmitter dominance and neurotransmitter balance. And, and you're like, that, it just makes so much sense. And that's kind of the reaction when I talk to other trainers and coaches who have worked with people in person, they're like, yeah, that I, I, I've always had that thought but I've never been able to like frame it or package it in a way like this. And it just makes sense. And it's kind of like that, that aha moment. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, like going through the process of learning somebody's nature and then understanding the individual variants that still exists within yeah. each person. So I always say that because sometimes people are like, well, just, you know, give me the, the secret sauce to my neurotype. And it doesn't really work like that. We all still have our own 
um, you know, our own experiences, our own personal preferences. So um, it's kind of like giving, I think you mentioned it earlier, where it's like, it gives you that, that foundation and that framework, but then we just kind of adapt it to the individual. Um, one other thing that I wanted to touch on, because you brought up an amazing point that should not go overlooked, which is you mentioned that you had the thought to prove it wrong, which a lot of people take the opposite approach, which would be called confirmation bias, which would be we try to find all the reasons to prove it right. And you see this all the time in the nutrition space, especially it's like, well, I can show you, you know, 10 different studies why you should be intermittent fasting. And I could just keep regurgitating different information yeah. and have this confirmation bias. Um, I could also show you 10 different studies that show you why intermittent fasting is not the best approach. But I think oftentimes, you know, I, I can't remember who told me this story, but it was like, if you were to try and prove that there were only white swans in the world, no black swans exist. There's only white swans. You could spend your entire life going from country to country to country, looking at all the white swans, taking pictures and saying, here, look, there's only white swans. And meanwhile, in your backyard, there was a black swan. You just weren't looking right. for it. So you didn't realize that all that work you went through could have been avoided if we yeah. had just looked for the counter argument. So um, sometimes it's, it's, you know, it's easy to go on, you know, this, uh, this kind of, process of confirming everything that we already believe versus just, you know, how can I challenge my own beliefs right now and see if maybe there's a counter argument. And typically one of two things will happen. Either it will strengthen your current argument because you'll try and find the counter argument. It just doesn't hold up. So you feel, you know, confident in your own beliefs or you do find the counter argument. Now you're, you're like, you know what, I need to rethink how I go about this process. So um, just something interesting that you kind of threw out there that I didn't want to leave it unsaid. Yeah, well, that that's a theme that's shown up in my life pretty regularly. And uh, it it correlates somewhat with some of the leadership positions that I've had in the sales space. And I've always tried to teach my team because um, I've worked for larger corporations where you're handed down a particular way that you have to do something. And uh, for anybody who happens to be listening to this, who's part of a large corporation or just, you know, that has that sort of a structure, many times if you're within what you'll call like you're, you're on the floor and you feel like there's these people at corporate side that are handing down these things and they're like, they don't know how this goes. Like they don't know what it's like actually being face to face with customers and different things like that. Um, so I told my, I've always told my teams, okay, I'll go back to them with that feedback, but you've got to prove it wrong by executing it perfectly. So first execute it the way that they're asking you to execute it. And then, then I have the credibility to go back and say, Hey, listen, my team did everything that, that you asked them to do. And this just didn't work. Because typically they'll have a bunch of people that come back and they say, yeah, this program doesn't work or going about training this particular way doesn't work. And they'll say, yeah, but you didn't execute it the way that we asked you to. So all of a sudden your credibility is shot. So I think it just relates back to how I've tried to train my teams in the past. And then what I do myself is in order to be able to really, I mean, I take my programming and training very seriously because I believe that I'm truly trying to help impact someone and not just training, but this is going to impact your entire life. Because I think when you feel better, you just do better just in general. Um, so if I'm going to, 
use neurotyping, if we're talking that specifically with clients, then first I'm going to use it on myself. And what's the best thing that I know? The best thing that I know is let me try to prove it wrong. And then you know what? It actually turns out to be spot on and totally right. So that's, that's kind of where that whole kind of prove it wrong comes from. It doesn't come from a place of not believing in something, but it comes from a place of, okay, like don't half step it, go all in and do it. And then if you need to make some tweaks, great. And that's where that foundational piece then comes in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because there's different factors, man. Like we, I don't even think we can, we all coach the same neurotype the same way, even like a, a 2A, you might have a 2A who's got one life situation versus another 2A who's got a different life situation. So you've got to make some tweaks for that individual or different levels of equipment available, which might be relatable to some people right now, yeah. you know? So yeah, I do what exactly. you got to do. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I think that um, it, and what you mentioned, just kind of going through the process of executing first, it, it kind of gives you that real life test. It's like, does, mm-hmm. did this stand up to the real world test? And it's like, yeah, we can, we can say all of this behind, you know, um, a study or in a controlled environment, or it worked for, you know, my friend down the street, like, did it pass your own real world test? And there's no better way. That's why I, I encourage experimentation. And, and, you know, sometimes people yeah. are surprised when I say that. And, uh, you know, somebody will say like, you know, uh, I've, I've heard you say some, some not so great things about keto. Uh, and I was thinking about trying it and I'm like, yeah, absolutely try it. And they're like, well, are you sure? I, you don't seem to be a big keto fan. It's like, I don't have, there's nothing inherently <laughs> wrong with it. It's just the context matters, but there's no better way for you to put it to the real life test than trying it. Um, and hopefully yeah. you'll be able to learn something from the experience and then decide for yourself if it was the right, you know, and then we can, we can unpack that. We can break it down and see, you know, why did this work or why didn't it work? And now we have that information to start mm-hmm. to fine tune the process for you. But I think that, you know, holding it up to that, that real life situation, sometimes your, your norm changes. Like right now, a lot of the things that might've worked before quarantine, before all of this happened, aren't yeah. working right now. So even in a different phase of life, something that worked, you know, a mere two months ago, now all of a sudden it's failing that real life test. And now we have to adjust and find what that new norm looks like. Yeah, 100% agree. So we're kind of short on time, but I do want to get to the one question that we had from our boy, Nick, who dropped a question on the Facebook post. Um, So um, I know that we'll both have some thoughts on this one, but I'll let you kind of kick it off as to uh, what you think as far as the proper cardio slash strength training split and what, kind of ratio we should be looking at oh man do you want me to say it depends or you want to say it depends yeah I'll lob that yeah. one. <laughs> all right so uh proper mix of cardio and strength uh, it and i can't answer a question without it depends so it does depend uh i would start with uh what your goals are so what you're trying to accomplish. So uh, if you are working towards something that requires uh, a better amount of conditioning than you know you currently have, if it's something that you've put on the back burner for quite a while, then uh, that's obviously something that needs to have somewhat of a, a bigger component into your training. Uh, so it, it really does depend on what your goals are. Uh, I think that 
something that does often get overlooked though is a focus on strength and hypertrophy many times can have a spillover into improving your conditioning also so um, one thing um, and i i know nick personally so i know that he's not asking from this particular aspect but i think one thing that sometimes people will shy away from doing a certain amount of cardio because they feel like it's just going to completely kill their gains or um, they feel like man i've just been focusing only on lifting and strength and not very much cardio say 10 10 minutes, two or three times a week. So that means I'm, it's not going to correlate to my, um, to my conditioning. And that's not necessarily the case. So long story short, it is going to depend on what your goals are. But I think what's important is to look at them, not necessarily two separate things, but look at them in conjunction with each other. So for example, uh, we'll use squatting. Um, if you're squatting and your goal right now is just to build up a really good squat, then fantastic. Fantastic. You want to build up big numbers, you're getting ready for a meet, then that's what your focus needs to be. You can still implement some things that are going to get your heart rate up, say um, for your warm up, just to get yourself primed, especially if you're in that type one slash two category, doing some things that really kind of get, get your heart pumping. Um, and also focusing on proper form so that when you do then move into more of the conditioning piece, you're able to be in tune with what your body is doing while you're doing that conditioning work is really important too. But um, that would be, that would be my answer. I, I know there's not a perfect answer to this question, but um, yeah, so, many mean, different, you, so many different yeah. variables to consider. I think, you know, yeah. the, the first like starting point to assess would be, like you said, what's your goal, what's your priority right now? Yeah. Uh, you know, if somebody's like, I want to maintain or build muscle, then we know that strength training has to be the priority. That doesn't mean that cardio can't exist. I think, you know, there was a lot of talk about the interference effect, which got blown out of proportion, um, which basically showed like when we're, we're talking about maximizing to like every single ounce of that we can maximizing muscle growth. If I do some cardio, some steady state cardio after a strength training session, uh, I'm not maximizing to the, you know, to the nth degree my gains, but the interference effect that occurs is is very, very minimal. I mean, it's like almost negligible, not worth worrying about for most people. If you're a, if you're a bodybuilder and you're trying to, you know, step on stage and you're trying to get, you know, every tenth of a percentage, yeah. uh, then maybe we split up the sessions and we don't do cardio immediately after strength training and we, um, you know, focus on splitting those up or, you know, having them be completely separate days. Um, but as far as like, you know, the, the interference effect, it's like, you're, you're not shifting into a catabolic state, you know, immediately after training, just because you're on the treadmill doing some light cardio. Uh, it doesn't work like that. Our, our bodies uh, are very smart. And in order to actually break down and lose muscle, you have to send a very clear signal to your body that you have no use for the muscle that you're carrying, um, which would be, like no form of strength training, excessive cardio, not a lot of protein, you know, typically low calorie um, where now your body's like, all right, well, we have all this expensive tissue on our body that we're not utilizing. Uh, rather than wasting energy on that, why don't we become more efficient at the cardio that we're doing so it gets rid, um, breaks down your muscle. And then, you know, um, so I think that that is a process that often gets confused. Yeah, I'm also going to say that, um, let's not forget, I still think walking is completely underrated um, as just a tool to keep in your tool belt year-round all the time. 
um, low intensity, steady state, and easy, easy to recover from is something that's much more sustainable over a long period of time. You know, so I, I, I don't more. think I don't I, think walking gets enough credit. I mean, I would make the case that walking is probably the most effective tool in the toolbox. You know, as far as if you think about it from a from a recovery standpoint, from a health standpoint, heart health. Uh, you know, when it comes to hormonal health, like one of the only activities that you can do that simultaneously increases insulin sensitivity and decreases cortisol. Typically, those things don't happen at the same time. And walking is one of the only activities that we have at our disposal that can do that. So when it comes to hormonal health, when it comes to, you know, mental health and, you know, just getting out and clearing your head and, um, you know, there was actually a study that was just published not too long ago um, that showed a direct correlation between the amount of steps per day and all-cause mortality. So dying from any sort of cause, there was a, a strong correlation between more steps and a lower um, mortality rate. And, and they actually teased out some different, um, you know, they teased out different diseases and age and um, smoking and different conditions. So it was a, it was a pretty well done study and it actually just was published. They tried to account for step intensity. So they looked at step Ooh. total and they also looked at step intensity and step intensity had no correlation to all cause mortality. So it was more about actually just the amount of steps. Um, and I think that ultimately it was somewhere in that like 16,000 steps per day was even lower okay. um, than those who were, you know, lower rate of all-course mortality than those who were only getting, you know, 10,000 or 12,000. It was a pretty well done study. Um, and I'll post that up in the show notes. So, so yeah. anybody can, can check that out. Okay. Um, and then the second part of that question is, and I'll let you handle this one first also. And I have some, some thoughts as well, but uh, at what point do you know that somebody's overtraining? Uh, overtraining, uh, overtraining versus under recovery. That's always fun. Um, it is all, to me, it's all about your biofeedback. So uh, I think that uh, sometimes the general sign that people will look for is soreness. And that is not necessarily um, going to be your best factor. I ask people, uh, how has your sleep been? What's your mood been like? That one's huge for me. Um, talk to me about your energy levels throughout the entire day, not just right after your workout and not just when you get up in the morning, but throughout your entire day. Like, are you finding yourself crashing completely? Um, is it having... Uh, I don't know if I said hunger already, but is it having, are you noticing just some wild differences in, in what your food choices are right now? Uh, but just the, the whole umbrella of biofeedback is what I would mostly pay attention to. So what I would say is uh, first you have to have a baseline to start from. So if I've got a concern that somebody may be overtraining or not, not allowing themselves enough time to recharge um, or the right activities to recharge for the next session. Typically that comes into play when I am getting signals that their biofeedback is not, um, not good. So there's definitely going to be some times where you may not necessarily feel a hundred percent. Like I don't know many of us who train on a regular basis that can say like, Hey, I only train when I feel 100%. There are those days that you just kind of like, and you, you just, you got to push through. However, um, you do need to pay attention to, you know, how has your mindset been? 
those different things. So I think some people would be surprised to know that I'm not necessarily, I personally am not looking at physical signs for overtraining as far as like what hurts and are you sore. I'm asking more for walk me through, especially like your sleep and your mood. Like that has a big, um, to me that, that helps me get an understanding for what's going on. If somebody tells me they've been more comfortable lately, uh, things like that, um, more than what they normally normally are so yeah yeah, that's what i would say we're definitely on the same page with that and i think it's important to paint the picture of it's just one toggle that we have to play with when it comes to you know what are the symptoms how is this manifesting itself as like you Mm -hmm. talked about uh, as we're looking at biofeedback and we're looking at things like fatigue and lack of recovery and uh, you know easily irritable and brain fog and and all these different symptoms you know intense cravings or you know hunger issues you know, we, the training is just one toggle that we have to play with, but there's other toggles. It's kind of like, you know, we've got this big, uh, you know, DJ mix board that we're working with and we've got, you know, our bass and treble and everything that we can kind of adjust, but you know, it's like, is it, can we adjust the nutrition toggle? Is that going to help me? Maybe it's a lack of calories that now we can increase, you know, the, uh, you know, caloric intake or protein or whatever, or carbs and, and start to see some improvement in biofeedback. So we're not necessarily in that, um, you know, overly stressed state anymore, or it could be, we can assess sleep, you know, maybe there's just a lack of sleep quality uh, or quantity. Is that something that we have control over? Is that the toggle we want to, you know, shift, or it could be, um, you know, something that's more situational stress and, and we need to take more, you know, more mindfulness techniques and, uh, you know, de-stressing activities and, you know, something like a wind down routine or yoga or meditation. Um, training is just another toggle. So uh, if, you know, we, we start to present these symptoms and you're training seven days a week for two hours a day, that's an easy toggle to turn down the notch a little bit. So now we're going to balance out that, that recovery. Um, so, you know, it just depends on the situation. Uh, and I just look at it as one, you know, one toggle that we have to adjust when we're starting to present these symptoms, but we have to look at the big picture um, and understand that there's so many different inputs and outputs that we can, that we can mess around with to try and find and, and improve those biofeedback markers. Yeah, I also, um, I will throw out a tip as someone who uh, has struggled before with taking a recharge day, and I call them recharge days because, you know, I just want to remove the whole like, well, this is a rest day or is not a rest day. You know what, the time that you're taking away is so that you can recharge to be effective for the next session. So for me, what I do and what I do with a lot of my clients um now is that recharge day, I ask them to plan what they're going to do. One, we plan it ahead of time. Um, So if it's Thursday, then they take off Thursdays. But um, some of them are really, really into, you know, their gym rats and love it. So I tell them, hey, that that day, Thursday, that's a great day for you to take some time and dig into the next two days of training that you have. I want you to really dig into what your movements have been so that their brain like they feel like they still need that satisfaction of I've focused on something health and fitness wise. So I'll tell them, Hey, take that time to look at the next two to three days of training and dig into those movements that maybe you want to get a little bit more detail about, look at the demo again, you know, that sort of thing, because I want to honor the fact that I, you know, if I got somebody who's really committed to it and they just, they almost are like, I don't know if I want to take a day off. I'm like, Hey, let's take a day so that we can dig in on a knowledge standpoint. And I want you to really focus on 
what you're, how you're really going to hammer this the next time you go into the gym. So they almost feel like it's like deep practice for the next session that's coming. So that's just going out to anybody who uh, may have, may have, or does struggle with, you know, feeling like, uh, I shouldn't take that day off. Look at it as a preparation day to recharge and really dig in. Yeah, for sure. I love that. And that, that goes back to, uh, kind of bringing this all first full circle of the different yeah. personality types where some people need that perspective of it's not a rest day, it's a prep day. Um, and what are we using this to accomplish? And I think that, you know, it really depends on uh, the personality type. And that, that was definitely something that I had to to adjust my perspective and getting back to reframing because, um, you know, taking a day off for me was, was a real challenge and um, yeah. just had to, to reframe that situation. Um, and now it's actually something that I look forward to because of how much I've been able to benefit from that, um, the recharge and, and just like get myself ready to know that I'm going to make the best out of the next session. Uh, so now it's something that I even look forward to and it's, it's kind of come, you know, I've come a long way from, from the way that I used to approach it, but, um, yeah. we're kind of up against it on time. So I just yep. want to, uh, give you an opportunity to shout out where people can connect with you. I highly recommend everybody follow JK on Instagram as far as, uh, training content and just, you know, puts out a ton of value, um, the workouts, the programming, everything. Um, so just give everybody a chance to, uh, connect with you. Yeah. Easiest way to uh, reach me. There's two avenues. Uh, one just directly, it's just coach JK underscore the muscle feed. So go just coach JK underscore the muscle feed that's on Instagram uh, or just our company page, the muscle feed on uh, Instagram. Uh, those are two of the easiest ways uh, to get a hold of me. All right. Perfect. Well, this was, uh, as expected, a super insightful conversation. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you jumping on and we will talk very soon. All right. Thanks, man. I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the Help Me Understand podcast. If you would like to reach out with any feedback or story around how you took action based on today's episode or any of our previous episodes, feel free to contact us directly. The direct email for the Help Me Understand podcast is helpmeunderstandpodcast.hmu at gmail.com. Again, we can be reached directly at helpmeunderstandpodcast.hmu at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at help me understand underscore podcast. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll talk to you later.